All right. Hey, look, you know, the, the sun, the moon, and the stars are praising God. The heavens are praising God. The angels are praising God. The creatures of the sea are praising God. And the animals on the earth, the wind and the waves are praising God. Mother Nature's even praising God by not snowing all month long. Um, we ought to be praising God because of a very, very special thing that God does in all of us that we're going to find out uh, in the story of Mary in the Christmas story. So you can turn there to Luke chapter 1. But while you're doing that, it's great to see all of you because I know that school got out and several families called me and said, Pastor Clint, we won't see you on the 23rd because we'll start traveling before that. And uh, so we pray for those families. I want to acknowledge that there are some unique and special families here. Again, guests this morning, thanks for being here. But Dr. Booby, where are you? I saw Dr. Booby and his wife, Jolene. Over there, you know, they transitioned from doing medical missions uh, in Africa to going to Boone, North Carolina, where they're working with Samaritan's Purse Ministries now. Everybody wave at the boobies and thank them for their service to the Lord. We supported them for many years. And uh, we got to swap stories for the first time about God uh, calling us uh, into missions. That was kind of a weird and unique thing. Another thing that's important, another thing that's important, it'll come up later, is this. I need you to check in front of you where the racks are, where we keep our hymnals that we actually used last week and the week before that, um, and see if there is a special envelope that says greatly graced there. A special envelope in the pew rack where the hymnals are, and see if there is an envelope that says greatly graced there. If so, then you are the person that's greatly graced here this morning, and we'll come back to that in a second. Can I see if anyone found an envelope that says greatly graced right there? I can't see who that is. Hi, what's your name? Huh? Vivek? Awesome, awesome. Vivek, if you're willing to open that in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to, okay? All right, thank you. And then one last thing I want to do before we get rolling into um, this passage. Hey, I won't say it. I won't say it. Um, I'm going to be emotional a lot um, in the coming Sundays, so just bear with me. But um, uh, for two Sundays in a row, for First Noel and for our Big Brunch Sunday, you followed up, you, you, you followed through, and you invited guests to our church where they could hear a clear message of the gospel and have the opportunity to, to respond to it um, or to have the seed of Christ planted in their hearts through the preaching of the word and the great worship that we had here. And the next opportunity that's coming is February the 1st. You've seen a video about it. It's the student ministry retreat. And why wouldn't we as an entire congregation begin now partnering with Pastor Cameron and his entire volunteer youth staff as well as his students and making that retreat something that God uses for his great glory. And so that means praying about that. It means maybe in January giving a gift of scholarship money so another student can go, could go. Could you imagine if we literally just said, God, give us 50 students that would go 
on this retreat, if we just started to ask God to do immeasurably more than we could possibly ask or imagine, and we said, God, we're willing also to put hands and feet to whatever that is, whether it's scholarship money, whether it's prayer support, uh, whether it's encouraging uh, students in our very own families to invite friends from their schools and from their neighborhoods to come on this retreat, which has already happened, begun happening already. Um, who knows what God would, would do with that event? So I'm, I'm tipping you off. Since I won't be here on the 30th, I'm tipping you off right now and saying, come on, church, let's all turn our hearts toward this student ministry retreat and not be surprised when Pastor Cameron comes back with his whole team on February the 3rd and tells us of the great things that God has done. All right, so let's pray for that right now. Father in heaven, we pray for the student ministry retreat. We pray for all of our church to be a part of that and to go with them in prayer and support, encouraging our students. We pray for our students even right now that would consider the possibility of taking small risks by faith to invite their friends to come on this retreat. And Father, would you supernaturally and majestically coordinate all those invitations so that those that you want to go on that retreat, those that you want there, those that you want to speak to there would come. All because you worked all of this out by your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hey, thanks for putting up with me. Um, I knew last week when I walked up here after the majestic singing, 40 minutes of incredible worship. Who was here last week for that incredible worship? Yeah, amen? Amen. I mean, Pastor Jeremy hits the bell a lot, so I don't know if that was the greatest moment I had, but I didn't want to be anywhere else. And then I walked up here and I looked back at you and I could kind of see that collective sigh of, oh great, the talker is up now. (laughs) But it was a wonderful day of worship. I want to bless you here this morning um, with God's uh, word here this morning. You're in Luke chapter, and we're going to study the character of... Mary, in the Righteous Yet Afraid series, we're going to conclude uh, here this morning, all right? And so, reviewing previous characters, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Joseph and Herod, all characters that we've studied, Zechariah and Elizabeth, Righteous Yet Afraid. The Scripture is very, very careful to tell us that they were both righteous people, and yet they are tarassoed, shook, struck on their insides by the appearance of of the angel of the Lord uh, at the altar, Zechariah is. They struggle with this miracle that comes to them through John the Baptist, their son, that is born to them in their very, very old age. Joseph, a righteous man, a tzaddik, a man who finds great pleasure in obeying all of the commands of God. I'm getting some back either here or somewhere. You, You hearing it? There, I'll pause long enough for you to hear it. Thank you. A Sadiq, a man who finds pleasure in obeying all of the commands of God, he's got the heart of a God pleaser. And Pastor Jeremy will even be sharing more about the heart of a Sadiq next week when he uh, preaches on Psalm 1, what it, what it means for that man who loves the Lord, what he d- does do and what he does not do with this heart of a God pleaser. And Joseph had that heart so much that we know that this righteous man obeyed God even though he was thrown in fear by what happened to where we don't get a word that comes out of his mouth. Do you understand that? The the Gospels record Joseph in several places, and yet we don't have one word recorded that escaped his mouth. Incredible. 
Both today's message and next week's message will bring our hearts where God wants us to be, heading into 2019 with great holy desire to please God. And so if you're that person here this morning and you have been experiencing a holy desire to please God, follow Follow the story here again. Have the heart of Sadiq to listen to God, to obey God, to know Christ, and to make him known as God has established for us as a church. And why marry today? Because after seeing multiple times how the astonishing and miraculous God works so forcefully that his route of the impossible makes the human shudder we can learn great truth about God, about Jesus Christ, and about Mary that is essential to our faith. We can again learn and grow and be feelers today in the scripture as the text touches many places in our lives, motherhood, marriage, family, poverty, personal estrangement, to name a few. The text will remind us that there's stuff that we just don't think is possible in our lives either because we only live in the natural world with what we see and what we can do instead of the supernatural world, or whether we live by fear that continually shrinks our faith, or simply living by that self-imposed lie that we can buy from the devil many times at even half price. I'm not worth heaven doing something special in me. I'm not worthy of heaven doing something special in me. Heaven's not going to do something impossible with me. And God today wants to raise up your faith. He wants to show us where great grace can take us. And Mary leaves us in very deep thought about our own willingness to release ourselves completely to the full plan of God Almighty. That's why Mary today. So will you go on this incredible journey in God's word with me and with Mary this morning? Will you do that? Amen. Let's pray together then. Father in heaven, we come to your word now, abandoning all unbelief, doubt, and fear, and turning again by the help of your Holy Spirit to have hearts and ears to listen to the truth of your word, to be fed well by you, Father by your nourishing word, to be inspired by your word, to be corrected and rebuked and brought back to faith and the great grace that has come to us as well, not just Mary, but to us. And we pray for holy desire and holy surrender in the room here this morning. Also on the podcast, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And my friend, Taylor Ash, now comes to read God's word. God's Word, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26 and completing in verse 38. Go ahead. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you, are, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord 
God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked. The angel said, or asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren, is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be as you have said. Then the angel left her. Amen. This is God's word. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And so, what does this passage first say about God? Remember, when we talk about the Gospels, especially even the Christmas narrative, we want to remind ourselves that when we're doing a character study, the Gospels are really talking about God and Jesus Christ, the Gospel of God. And so we have to focus in on what is the Gospel saying and what is God saying about himself there before we even look at the character as another study. Well, the passage is saying a lot about God. It says that he chooses to do his redemptive work by great grace. The angel says, you are highly favored. The word there is chorus. It means to be greatly graced. He's the God of the impossible, the angel says after Mary questions. How in the world can this be? Well, God can do impossible things. There is nothing impossible with God. The angel would have alluded to, 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 to back all the way to Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14. Mary being a righteous follower of God, probably going to synagogue school right there in Nazareth as a child, would have by the age of 13 studied significantly in the Torah and many times would have been right there in Genesis chapter 18 where God promises again to Abram and Sarah that they will have a child. Sarah laughs and God says back, is there anything too difficult for me? And Mary would have remembered that at that very moment that the angel says there's nothing too hard for God. The Greek, the Greek ha, uh, uh, has the word impossible. The Hebrew doesn't really have a word for that. And so the Hebrew simply asks poetically the question, is there anything too hard for God? But the meanings are exactly the same. Mary would have seen in, in, in this speaking of the angel, the God of the impossible that did a great thing for Abraham and Sarah is the God of the impossible that is now going to greatly grace her. This God, we will see his character, we'll see his love, we'll see his grace, and we'll see his power. And he loves humankind enough to deliver us, to us, his son, for our own saving. His will is accomplished through his grace, we will see. And his grace is an incomparable power that makes the impossible possible. God loves us. God loves you. God loves you listening on the podcast here this morning. And he sent his son to die for us. We'll see that in the passage. He accomplished this by gracing Mary and causing her to conceive as a virgin. And she is so powerfully graced that she will deliver to the world this Messiah. This passage says a lot about God. This passage says a lot about Jesus. Dwight Pentecost describes it this way from this passage. The perfect fusion of complete 
humanity without reducing deity. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, is Jesus. The child that Mary delivers will one day deliver Mary. So the text says a lot about God. The text says a lot about Jesus. But the text also says something through Mary that all of us can grasp here by faith here this morning. And that is where grace can take us. Where grace can take us. You say, okay, well, what is my pre-grace state? Where am I before grace takes me anywhere? Well, you may not like the descriptions that the Bible gives for the person who has not yet been graced. That person is called a child of the devil in the scripture. It's called a sinner. It's called completely helpless and hopeless. Dead in transgressions. Unable to please God in any way. There is not one righteous, not one, says the book of Ecclesiastes. The person in his pre-grace state cannot know God, cannot please God, cannot have a relationship with God, cannot go to God, cannot live for God. But grace takes us from where we are to where God wants us to be. Grace takes us from a very humble estate in our own poverty and our own helplessness and our own story that we could never in any way achieve a relationship with God, a perfect status and union with the Almighty. We see through the humble estate of Mary that this is accomplished. Mary could have been as young as 12 or 13 years old. We don't know, but we do know that when a young lady begins her menstrual cycle, she's considered ready then for marriage and can be betrothed in a betrothal period that can last as long as one year. Meaning that it could have been possible that Mary had only for months experienced her menstrual cycle, been as young as 12 or 13 years old, maybe 14, maybe 15. And she's betrothed to whom? A carpenter, a simple carpenter, but a righteous man named Joseph. I want to show you one of the pictures of Mary that we often see put up everywhere. We, we usually see a picture of someone that is much older and much more mature that has a smile on her face or the classic Catholic iconoclasm that, that you see of Mary. She looks like a, a, a very, uh, uh, maybe a 40-year-old mother that uh, has uh, really nice clothing and gold around her and things like that. No, even this picture, though she's dressed simply, doesn't come close to the Mary that we see in the Scripture here this morning. There's a picture that we get closer to. Show that picture here. This is closer to what we get to. I, I saw a Bedouin girl that was 14 years old as I studied this week that was, had sewn a bunch of cloth together and covered her hair and her face. But this is what she would look like. She would look like a 7th grader. They went to Creekside, middle school. She would look like a seventh grader that went to Cityside or to Zealand Christian or to one of the Holland middle schools. She would look like somebody that we would say in our culture is eight or ten years away from maturity and the ability to be a wife and be a mother. And where was she from? She was from Nazareth, a small town. Show those photos too, please. 
a small town. Here we have the middle of uh, uh, 19th century Nazareth here on the right and the middle of 20th century Nazareth here on the left. Nazareth now can uh, house as many as 60,000 people, but in that day, in the day of Mary, it's believed that it was less than 500, probably 200 to 400 people. And one of the reasons why Nazareth was so small was, first of all, it was 12 miles south and west of Galilee. It was said that if, if, if you wanted to be rich, go and live in Galilee. If you wanted to be wise, go and live in Jerusalem. Okay? If you want to be neither, go and live in Nazareth. Because Nazareth had uh, the headquarters of a Roman garrison there in the first century, which means that they brought their pagan culture there with them, those soldiers did. There was corruption. There was probably prostitution. And so the, the Nazareth Jews were despised by the other Jews because they had to be. They were forced to be closely associated with the Romans and their pagan Practices. Nazareth, a very small town. Everyone would have known Mary, and Mary would have known everyone. So when this angel comes to her and says to her, things aren't going to work out the way that you think that they are, Mary is absolutely thrown. She's there in her early teens, in her one-year betrothal period to Joseph. There have been no angelic visitations in Israel for over 800 years. There have been no miracles in centuries. There's been no voice from God's prophets in over 400 years. And God chooses to visit to perform the ultimate miracle, the crowning miracle of all, and to speak to a young virgin teenager in and through the archangel. All of heaven knows about this decree of God. Gabriel himself announces himself and, and is representing all of heaven. All of the angelic hosts of heaven would have been briefed on this. They would be expecting God to do exactly as he says he will do because he's never not done what he said he will do. All of heaven is expecting what will happen next. How would you like to be making your wedding plans and then be struck, tarassoed, shuddered by the news that you will conceive by the Holy Spirit? Your plans are shot. You might now be stoned to death for adultery or at the very least judged and scorned in a very small town. You probably think that you're going to face this alone. Maybe Mary said to herself, surely righteous Joseph will divorce me now. Just as a new life seems to be beginning, the entire picture disappears. But the angel contends, you are highly favored, and we've got to ask ourselves, say what? I mean, yeah, small town, small town living. Mary, this is really the best you can do. You've been betrothed. Who knows how your family's organized this? Maybe they were closely related, but you've been betrothed to a righteous guy. He's not going to make much, but every year he'll probably take you on that honest pilgrimage to God in Jerusalem to meet with God in his temple at least once or twice a year. He'll make enough money to provide enough food uh, for you and for the family. And now all of that is changed. The selection of Mary to be the one who bears the Son of God is not, though, a curse, but a once and never again pivotal point in all of human history. The kingdom 
that her people had longed for, the kingdom that Mary longed for, which, by the way, as a young Jewish, taught Jewess, taught in the Jewish community, raised up in synagogue, her identity was not just as an individual who wants to go in and have a family and have kids and, and have a dog and have a minivan. That was not her identity. Her identity was with the people of God and the God of her people. And so what she longed for was not just marriage and not just for children, but for the redemption of all of her people, for God to be with her people. And so now this kingdom that she has longed for, that her people has longed for, it's coming through her. Your son is not going to be a king. He's going to be the king, says the angel. And what does Mary first say? She says, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin. Not doubt, not doubt, not a decline of the offer, not even a debate, just how? Even in this, she is graced by God. Think of how this woman is being highly favored and greatly graced right now by God. Right? The angel is going to, first of all, explain to her that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her in language that, again, she would understand from her, from her Hebrew teachings from Torah when the Shekinah glory fell upon the tabernacle and came down over it in all of its splendor and its glory. Now the Holy Spirit will come over her. Such a holy moment as God's presence coming over the tabernacle. And now Mary is told by the angel, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. She's being graced by God because she's given a relationship to a cousin who is also a miraculous mother. And she would be reminded of Sarah in verse 37 where the angel says, there's nothing impossible for God. She'll be reminded of Genesis 18, verse 14, where, where God speaks to Sarah and says, is there anything too difficult for me? She's been told that God has the plan, that God has the power, and God has the position to work all of this out. Mary is being graced even as God is speaking to her and even as God is setting up the pieces in her life. And oh, men, please hear this, men. Please hear this. How great, how wonderful that God in his perfect and majestic plan placed a righteous man with her for this journey. Imagine just for a second, men, this woman having to go through this alone. What do ladies need? What do wives need? They need a righteous man. A man called to lead them. Peter says to treat them gently and treat them well as a weaker vessel. To love them so well in their servant leadership that they are made beautiful as Christ has made his church beautiful. Does your wife feel more beautiful today because of your treatment of her than she did at your wedding? Mary's being graced. The truth is being told by the angel. All of heaven is going to support this. All of the angelic host is going to work this out. The Holy Spirit is going to do a really unique and special thing that he'll never do again. Elizabeth, your cousin, she's also a miraculous mother. You can talk with her, and, and you, can, you can share this experience together. And Joseph, he's also, he's going to have your back because he's a righteous man. 
So she's greatly graced. She's highly favored. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament is the word hen. It means favor given. It points back to a watchful God whose character chooses the unworthy, the unable, and the destitute. And actually this word hen, its first use is in the context of God's redemptive plan for all of history. Genesis 5 concludes with, man is wicked, God is tired of man. He just, he's not going to put up with man anymore. Genesis 6, we turn and we find there Noah who finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. Another redemptive story. Favor is going to extend in the ultimate redemption story now. We tie Old Testament all the way back to Genesis chapter 6 with Noah, with God's first, or really second, redemptive work, but this redemptive work for all of mankind. All right. I asked Wesley, I said, Wesley, whose son are you? And he was like, Noah's. I was like, yeah, that actually is correct. But anyway, God's redemptive plan all the way back to the Old Testament is tied to God's redemptive plan now immaculately, his crowning redemptive plan in the New Testament. And what do we see? We see the character of God. He's a God who highly favors the righteous. He shows his favor to them. And you and I were in that story. We are the next recipients of God's great favor. Paul tells the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul said, you and I, through the grace, we, we understand the upside-down gospel. We totally get how God would do this thing through Mary because we totally get how God would do this thing through us. That we, in our own poverty, we, in our own humble estate, would be met by the highly favoring God, and we would have this unique experience of God's grace as well. All right, I think I remembered your name. Vivak? Vivek, Vivek. Thank you. I know you were not expecting this today, and I hope to only embarrass you a little, but also exalt you a lot. All right? Vivek, would you please stand up? Thank you, brother. Would you open up that envelope? It says greatly graced, right? Yeah, it does. It does. Will you take out what's in that envelope? It's being very careful with it, as if it's like a tiny little chick or something, a, a, a baby monkey. No, it's not. What is it? Vivek. Okay, it's a small stone, all right? And so, boy, that, that was kind of a disappointment, wasn't it? You're thinking, oh, man, it's going to be... It's going to be something amazing. It's going to be something great. He's talking about highly favored and all this. In fact, that stone, it looks like any number of the stones that are even in the rock beds all the way around the church. But that's not what that stone is. You know where that stone comes from? It comes from Israel. It comes from the Shephelah. It comes from the very creek bed that David went down to to gather up stones to defeat the giant Philistine Goliath. And I was permitted in January to go down to that creek bed and grab a stone, and that is customs approved both by Israel and the United States to return back here. And so, brother, that is a stone from Israel that represents that story of David defeating because what did he come in he came in the name of the lord and fought with him all right 
highly favored one. Enjoy that stone, okay? All right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, now, the character of God. What I was trying to do is trick him a little bit with the character of God because Jesus even says one time when he's talking about the character of his loving Heavenly Father, he says, anyone who goes to a neighbor and asks for a loaf of bread, who would give him a stone? If our God, who was much better, much nicer, much kinder, much more loving than our neighbor, how much more will he give us good gifts? James 1.17 says, he's the father of heavenly life, the giver of all good things. What will it take for you this morning to recognize that God wants to show his great grace to you? He wants to highly favor you. He wants you to have the same experience as even Mary in the scripture, to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. But at first, he opened it and he thought, this is just a common rock. But it's not. Common is exactly what it is not. And even though grace is available to us all, it is the most uncommon thing on this earth because it's completely supernatural. It's a work of God. John Grudem describes grace as this, the consummate work of God in a life so that a person can go from unable to, glor- unable to glorify God to completely enabled to glorify God. That's the grace of God. It's the consummate work. It's forgiveness. It's justification by faith. It's regeneration, taking one life that dies to Christ and giving a new life so that we we might live. It is uh, sanctification, growing in the grace of God. And one day it is glorification to where we are in a complete sinless state with the sinless one. That is the grace of God. Uh, It was... um, Got lost here. John MacArthur, who says, Grace is the free and loving influence of God in the lives of undeserving sinners. Now, listen, listen closely. Listen closely. You cannot do the will of God, right? Angel is telling Mary the specific will of God for her life, explaining how God's going to use her. But you cannot do the will of God unless you're willing to live by the grace of God. Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, this is God's will for you, your sanctification. You're being set apart unto God. You can't do the will of God unless you live by the grace of God. Let us be a congregation that lives by grace. Let us be a people that lives by grace. The apostle Paul says of himself, he says, by the grace of God, I am who I am. As a zealous Jew, he persecuted and killed and imprisoned Christians, defaming the gospel, attacking the gospel. But yet, in Christ, by the grace of God, I am who I am. And he says, and his grace to me was not in vain. And it just made me think even this morning, oh God, where have I taken your grace in vain? Where have I received the offer of being greatly favored by you and rejected? And grace is only grasped. How is grace grasped by us? It is grasped and appropriated by faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It is by grace that you are saved by faith, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So to believe 
And to receive the grace of God, we've got to believe the grace of God. This is who he is. The God of grace. This is what he wants because he's a God of love. He's a God of grace. He's a God of power. And he wants to grace you and me toward redemption, toward our recreation, toward our regeneration, toward his ultimate glorification. He wants to recreate you and me for his glory. And he does that. He accomplishes that by his grace. My son Avery will graduate in April as an exercise scientist. That's really not the term, but he studied clinical exercise science and hopes to go on to study even more because he studies the body. He studies everything about the body. He knows all the anatomy. He knows the muscles, the tendons, the ligaments. He knows the brain synapses. He knows neurology now. He knows all the chemicals that that the body trades in and out. He knows how vitamins and minerals influence the body. He knows all the little mitochondria that are inside the muscles that when they start working together, they can build the muscle fibers. And one time he shared an 11-syllable word with me before he took an exam. An 11-syllable word that he was studying that he had to define for me. He is smart when it comes to shaping your body and recreating your body into the healthiest, the fastest, the strongest body that it can be. He knows, this is how smart he is, he knows to tell me to stop drinking soda pop and eating potato chips. So this guy knows something. But if he tells you what to do and you don't do it, he can't help you. He builds regimens for athletes. He works with the athletes at Zealand East. He builds regimens. He writes out all these plans. He knows how to get them in shape better than they know how to get themselves in shape. And Take it for what it is. Just don't, don't ask Reggie, uh, uh, Avery to write a regimen for me just yet, okay? I went scuba diving one time with the military back in college, and we met our scuba instructor. His name was Les, and he had been doing scuba instruction for 33 years, and he said, you will do everything that I say. There is nothing that I say that you will not do because if you do not do it, you will not have this opportunity any longer. One time you do not do what I say, you're out. And the reason why Les said this is because Les was training us to breathe underwater. He was training us to breathe underwater. He was saying, I'm going to help you do what is not natural and what is impossible for you to do so you better do it exactly the way that I tell you to do it and he told us about the the monster and the arm and he told us about our breathing mechanism and he told us what numbers we had to follow on these little little uh, instruments that, that, that we had he told us how we always had to stick together with partners and we always um, rose to the surface together as partners he gave us all of this instruction and for four glorious days I breathed underwater. On the second day that I was there, I was in a body glove suit, this kind of lime-colored body glove suit, and two moray eels just kept on swimming right through my legs. They're like, dude, you look like us. I was breathing underwater. And that's God's grace. What you can't do, what you never could do, what you're not going to without the grace of God, 
you can only do by God's grace. And that's the message of Mary here this morning. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. She experienced the grace of God, believed the word of God, and therefore she could be used by the spirit of God to accomplish the will of God. Wouldn't you like for that to be your tombstone? Wouldn't you like that to be the whole story of your life right there? He experienced the grace of God, believed the word of God, was used by the spirit of God to accomplish the will of God. Man, that would be a great life story in one sentence, wouldn't it? That's what occurred with Mary. And what God wants to say to us here this morning is that he can be supremely glorified in us. We go from where we are to where God is supremely glorified in us. The grace of God placed Mary into a position where she could glorify God. You and I cannot glorify God without the grace of God. You can't do it. You can't do the will of God without it. Grace recreates us as one whole work. Forgiveness, justification, regeneration. It gives us this new life that glorifies God. Before Mary could say, I will, she had to say, let it be. Before she could say, I will, she had to say, let it be to me, your servant. Second of all, the grace of God unlocked Mary's heart so that she would glorify God. Who's living with a guarded heart this morning? Who's living with a locked down heart that says, I, I, just, I, just, I don't want to live by the grace of God today? And the angel tells her, nothing is impossible with God. God can take your locked down heart right now, listening on the podcast. God can take your locked down heart right now and can reveal to you himself again by his immeasurable, incomparable power and grace to where God can change you on your insides and take you from where you are in your impoverished state, unable to please God, to a state where you absolutely can. Unlock your heart by faith this morning. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have heard maybe the message about Jesus, that he came to die for your sins, and you've always thought that was a really nice demonstration of God's love, but you've never really thought that, that it actually needed to be personally taken in, the only way for you to live for God is by the grace of God. And by the grace of God, Jesus gave his life for you and for me. He who was rich became poor so that we might become rich. Thirdly, this, the grace of God preserved Mary so that she did do the will of God. The grace of God preserved Mary so that she did do the will of God. What does she say? She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Can you think of a more beautiful expression of submission and surrender And why is it beautiful? It's beautiful because her faith looks really good right there, doesn't it? She really grasps grace. But let me show you the other side of this beauty. The other side of this beauty is the God of grace. The other side of this beautiful surrender is that when she does surrender, she gets exactly that. God knew that this righteous one would surrender and submit to his work in her life. 
and she's greatly graced. Surrender, it's, it's what you do when you realize that you can't do it yourself. It's the place where you invite God into the conflict of your life. It's the posture of backing away and letting go and letting God do what is needed. It, it means I can't control my outcomes it, or even people's perspectives. It means walking in the unnatural place where I'm not the best at what is going on. Think like a scuba diver. You're breathing underwater, even though that's not something that you could ever pull off yourself. Surrender to the regimen that God has for you, the regimen of his grace. Go where you must go in order to grow in Jesus Christ today, to sin less and to glorify God more. The unsurrendered Christian is that Christian that is constantly squirming off the altar of God, and I'm great at squirming. You this morning, you this morning, where do you know the grace of God is calling you? Where do you know right now the grace of God is calling you, the great favor of God? God wants to do another great thing in your life, but your heart is locked, your faith is weak, your body is tired. And today, you need to receive the great grace of God. Come on, let me pray with you, and then we're going to worship God and respond to God in our worship. And, and all throughout this room, we're going to keep on looking at the God of great grace, and we're going to see ourselves as greatly graced. We're going to believe again and again and again that we cannot do the will of God unless we live by the grace of God. And we're going to remember Mary, who personally demonstrates to us that we can be taken from where we are to where God wants us to be by grace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I give to you these worshipers. I give you myself. And I pray, Heavenly Father, by the help of your Holy Spirit, that we would grasp again by faith the grace that you want in our lives. I pray for husbands in the room right now. I pray that you would grace the husbands in this room toward being those righteous ones, those sadiqs for their wives. That walk with them through conflict and through hard times and grace them well. I pray for faith among the women of this church, all the women of this church, that they would grasp your great love and by faith appropriate your grace in their lives. God, I pray for change. Just pray that right now your Holy Spirit, and speaking to hearts all around the room, your Holy Spirit would say, this is where, child of God, God wants you to change right now. Bring that revelation to each of our hearts. Speak to us. Keep speaking to us. Keep changing us. Keep bringing us to glory by your grace. For the young people in our audience here this morning and even listening on the podcast too, I pray that your grace would bring boldness and courage, a steadfast desire to be in the word, to grow in the knowledge of Christ, to know him and to make him known. I pray that our kids would turn to their parents and ask for help in following Jesus, that they would ask for grace. I pray, Father, to each one of us would have this vision 
of holding this giant bucket that we can barely wrap our arms around. And constantly, Father, we would ask you to fill us with your grace. Pour out blessing on your church. I pray in Christ's name, amen.